for another episode of the Freewheeling Podcast. I'm your host, Abby Mickey, and the most exciting episode ever of the Freewheeling Podcast is about to happen because we have not one, but two experts on the podcast today to discuss all things women's racing and women's news. We've got Yose Bean and Lauren Rowney. Lauren, Yay. how's it going? Good, thank you. I'm really excited about this. I've been wanting to do something with Jose for a long time, so I, I'm really looking forward to this discussion today. Jose, how are you doing? Good. I'm actually in my hammock, which I basically spend all summer in. So I ride in the morning, I'm in my hammock, watch cycling, eat and sleep again. It's it's a perfect life. Oh, no, it really is. That does sound that <laughs> does sound perfect. <laughs> so yeah, we're here to talk talk all women's cycling news that's happened lately which actually like we don't have a ton of news to discuss but we do have we're gonna get right into it the we talked about it on the weekly podcast already but as this is a women's specific podcast we're gonna talk about strata being the first women's world to erase back and it was pretty pretty bananas. I mean, it started off and the morning of Strada, there was already an insane amount of news to discuss. I mean, the Trek women's bikes were stolen, which is nuts. Um, we had a ton of crashes in the lead up to the race when people were pre-riding the day before, which resulted in one of the races, number one contenders being out of the race before it even started Ashley Woman Passio who got 60 stitches and Ella Harris who's also been riding really strong I mean she is a Zwift winner but she had a really good start to the year and she broke her collarbone before the race started so let's talk about the the pre-race and Koppenberg, Koppenberg yeah and Clara well. crashed as well she raced but she didn't didn't finish ah, okay. yeah but she was she did start which I I'm curious how bad her crash was because it sounded worse than it sounded bad. But if she started, I mean, who knows? But the first news was that the Trek bikes was stolen and mm. I got the photos from Tom's. And so when they park the vans, they park a car on each side of the trailer. So there's like no way to get in. Like the doors are all blocked. So they went through and the roof. <laughs> exactly. They went through the roof and cut a hole out of the roof and lifted the bikes out. Which is just nuts. Yeah, but I mean, Italy is known for these sort of incidences. I recall like years ago, even when I was racing the Giro, uh, what team was it? Even maybe the team Mara Abbott was on, their bikes got stolen. Um, so it's, I mean, they obviously pros these guys because if they went in through the roof, that's a bit nuts. Yeah. Well, the funny, the great story I thought was that Ellen van Dijk actually got Koen de Kort's bike. Yeah. And um, that, that that must be one of the perks of having a women's and a men's team. Ellen van Dijk is, of course, typically Dutch and tall, so she can. I, she rides a fifty-eight, like I do, because I asked, because I was I was in doubt whether I should buy a fifty-six or a fifty-eight, so I asked her, and they had the same size. So that was not only great publicity for Trek, but also for the fact that they support a women's and a men's team with the same like mm, infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah, that was exactly. a, that was. So in the end, something good came out of it. It's like also showing other teams, Ineos, I'm looking at you, um, that, it, that it's great to have have this these combined teams. That yeah, they're and the really tech look, team, yeah, they're looking they, out for each other. They really have a wonderful relationship between the men and the women, that team. And it's genuine. I have the idea that it's absolutely genuine that 
that the men on the team really do care about the, what the women do. Because, you know, there's also constructions like Mitchett and Scott or Lotte Schudal where it's two separate entities. But yeah, with, indeed. But with Trek, but also with, um, with, with other teams, this, Movistar is, is, is quite a unity as well. Um, and they're, they're quite sincere in that. So it's not only for, for that image, but also quite sincere in, 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 and interested in each other. But Trek seems to be like the example of how to, how to run this men's and women's program at one time. They do a great job. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ellen Van Dyke is so tall. And so maybe that her bike was stolen is a little... I mean, Ruth Winder couldn't really probably find one of the men's bikes to ride. <laughs> um but but yeah that was well i I think i think ruth could buy um could borrow kenny elison yes he's He's, short he's like he's like 155 all right yeah that would work (laughs) there's a bike for everybody bike for everybody (laughs) so but yeah so the since the races were running at the same time both of the trailers were were there um so that kind of yeah it was it could have happened at a lot worse race yeah the giro for example yeah yeah um, so yeah, so that happened in the morning, which caused quite a stir. And then also there was all these crashes that happened while people were pre-riding the course, which kind of ties into the next talking point about the race, which was that the the dirt was very different from years in the past. I mean, for one, Strata usually runs in the spring, so it, it can be quite wet sometimes, but it's right after the winter, so the dirt tends to be packed down a little bit. I mean, Lauren, you've actually raced it, so you can talk about what the dirt is like when you've raced it in the spring, but it seemed like from all the crashes that happened before the race even started, I mean, Ella Harris is pretty new to racing on the road, so for her to crash is maybe a little bit less surprising than, say, Ashley Momopasio, who's not to take any, like, not to say that Ella's not experienced or anything, but, like, Ashley Momopasio has been racing for so long, and crashing in training is not, like, a typical thing. But I think that the the blame of this may be on the dirt, because it sounds like it was pretty loose. Yeah, I think what would have happened is exactly what you said is... Um... Maybe previously Ashley's raced, I think, every single edition. But maybe she was one of the first riders going into a sector in the training session and just took a corner a bit wrong. But you've ridden quite a bit of gravel and you know that you can come across, like when it hasn't rained in a long time as well, it's been a very dry spring and summer, at least I know here in Belgium. um, When I've been out riding, there's just a lot of sand. And when you ride in sand, well, yeah bad things can happen. <laughs> that was really unfortunate for Ashley. Um, I'm quite sad for her, but I'm sure she'll bounce back pretty quickly. It was also insanely hot. I mean, the average of the day was 42 degrees Ugh. and the high, Ruth said she looked down at her, uh, her garment at one point and it was 45 degrees, which is technically three degrees above the weather protocol for having the race canceled Mm -hmm. um but i mean obviously it wasn't canceled um and it was not 45 degrees when it started so i don't really know how that works but anyway it was it was crazy hot which means that a lot of racer a lot of riders were taken out 
of contention just because they couldn't cope with the heat, one of which was Kashini Wadoma, who struggled a lot in the heat. Um, Ruth also had a really hard time in the heat. There was a lot of riders that just really, really had a hard time with with 45 degrees. Yeah, I spoke to Eri Yonamine, who had high hopes of her race in, in Italy, and well, she was out of the race in an ambulance due to a heat stroke. So um, it's that's just you can you can ride in heat until up to a certain moment and then it's just like from one second to the other it's you're gone it's over you yeah it's it. really it's dependent on the rider as well right because obviously Anamique managed to do what she did but um yeah normally when we race this race like you said it's it's spring temperatures so that's one factor you have already a couple of races under your belt whereas this was just like heat loose gravel really hard race first race back um i know some of these riders actually live in warm climates as well so um it was quite interesting to see certain riders that blew up because of the heat but i think that's just come down to the fact that yeah you can train really hard but nothing compares to a hard race in terms of intensity and and also i think like being the first race back it would have been the nerves would have been really high, which I see kind of for some people, some people obviously can handle it quite well, but I think you add in uncontrollable factors like this kind of heat and the roads not being ideal and the nerves being high. And it kind of intensifies the fact that it is the first world to erase back and panic maybe can set in for some of the riders. And I mean, there weren't, Meant very many riders who finished the race. No, not at all. Yeah, so that was kind of like another added thing was just how hot it was, which I think going into the next races we'll talk about in a little bit, but also, but they will be happening later. So it doesn't, I'm not sure if the heat will continue to play a factor, but we can get into that later. First, let's talk about how the race was run won. So we only had live coverage of kind of the, the butt end of the race, <laughs> but the breakaway went at roughly 50k mavi garcia was off the front solo from 45k to go and the chasing group was leah thomas caroline canuel ellen van dyke amanda spratt oh shoot i'm gonna butcher this name <laughs> Laila Fitte. thank you um lisa brenauer stein borg Bor- do you want to do that one too <laughs> stina borgli I love having you on the podcast. This is great. Aliza Balsamo um, and Omar Shapira. And they were chasing for a while. It was Caroline Canuel, Leah Thomas, and Ellen Van Dyke in particular were being pretty aggressive, trying to bridge up to Mavi Garcia, but never managed to do it. Anamik Van Vluten bridged, which this whole thing we didn't see. And I talked about it in the weekly podcast, but there the time gaps were huge when the live coverage started. From Mavi to the chasing group, it was three minutes plus, and then five minutes to the peloton from Mavi. And at one point on the penultimate gravel sector, the time gaps just disappeared. And it was pretty soon after that that Anamik Van Vluten was magically in the chasing group and then just basically went right past them, caught up to Mavi, and then they were together until the final climb when... Anamik Van Vluten eventually went away solo and won. Mavi Garcia was had an amazing ride and held on. At one point, I thought she wasn't going to get dropped. 
Um, and then it looks like from the results that the chasing group got caught by the Peloton because Mavi Garcia was second, Leah Thomas was third. So they, they were both off the front, but then Anna van der Breggen was fourth, Lisa, Elisa Longaborghini fifth, Mariana Voss sixth, Cecile Utrecht Ludwig seventh, Lisa Brenauer was eighth, Caroline Canuel ninth, and Marta Bastianelli was tenth. And we haven't even seen them, you know, from yeah. the, the Breggen Vos. Bastianelli, yeah. I have I haven't seen them all the whole race. All the whole race yeah, exactly. that, we, yeah. that that we saw on television. So Yeah. Um and also Abby, how we mentioned in the, the previous podcast, the discussion was how do you beat Annemiek van Vluden? Well, this was the perfect breakaway group, wasn't it? Because everyone was represented. Amanda Spratt was there, so Annemie could just sit back. And it sounds like she only bridged because she was told to that um Amanda was in trouble so if Amanda was feeling good and I'm sure coming from Switzerland she probably really did feel the heat um perhaps it would have been a different result we don't know but this is definitely the way um to potentially see a a race one without Anamique on the top step because you know she's got some really strong teammates that can win races themselves yeah it was an incredibly strong group and I think the standout rider from the chasing group to me is Leah Thomas because oh, yeah. she at one point Leah Thomas was trying to bridge to Mavi Garcia and she had a mechanical on the gravel sector it, a fan came over and was trying to help her with her bike and ended up knocking her over. And then Caroline Canuel passed her, who was also trying to bridge, and then the chase passed her. And then we didn't see what happened behind her because the camera was on Mavi and Anamie Van Vluten, but then all of a sudden Leah Thomas was there in third, which was just incredible. I mean, she she's always been around there. She's always been up and kind of in the top you know, 15, top 10. Last year, she was really, really consistent. But to get third place at Strada is a huge result for Leah, an incredible result. And especially after the kind of mechanical that she had. I mean, I'm I'm, imp- I'm super impressed by that ride. Yeah, she, she's, a, she's a bit of an unknown to me, um, I must say. Um, you Sometimes you have these riders that you that you follow closely and that you know everything about and you always notice them in whatever race they're riding. But I, I just simply never noticed her. I don't know why, but I had to look up what what kind of rider she was because I just didn't know. I just yeah, didn't know. Yeah. And she's pretty new to racing. I mean, she mm. raced, she was on Igla last year, but the year before that, she was on United Healthcare. So she raced a little bit in Europe, but mostly in the States. And before that, she was on 2020, ah. which is um, a much, it's the team of the TT world champion Chloe Dygart, but it is a very it is they don't race in Europe. They race pretty much only in the United States. So she had a very little experience in Europe um up until last year. And I think for her she's an amazing time trialist. Like yeah. really really good at time trial and she's been honing her climbing to be better too. And so I think for her she is really like not great at sprinting, but her ability to be a GC rider and also a threat in races like this is she's, yeah, she's definitely one to watch in the future. I think she's really um, making her bid for the Olympic team for next year based on what she's doing. Like, like you said, she's progressively been getting better through the years and I've always sort of noticed her, 
but maybe this will be her standout um her, her standout year yeah and with so little racing this year and the olympics being next year it uh, there's just so many question marks and i mean if you want to make a stand like want to make a statement about your form and how committed you are to the sport coming out coming back from lockdown and all of this uncertainty and being able to put in a ride like that is uh is a pretty good statement i hope they noticed i i sure i sure did i will not forget to notice her anymore that's for sure that's for well sure. the the team definitely noticed because they re-signed her for two years yeah yeah exactly <laughs> So yeah, so Annemiek van Vluten uh, remains unbeatable at this point. Um, that ride by her was pretty incredible. And going into the next races, it's kind of like, well, <laughs> what do we do? So the question that we asked ourselves last week, Lauren, or last episode about how can you beat Annemiek van Vluten, we still don't know. No, Neither does the Peloton. <laughs> <laughs> the director spent countless hours trying to figure it out. No. Um, well, you know, GP Pluet is a race that can be won in many different forms, but more recently I think it's come down more to like a small bunch kick. I think in previous editions even a group up to 20 or 30 are making it to the finish, whereas mm-hmm. before uh, I'm talking like 2000 and. 12 13 14 the race actually used to be a bit of a harder course so it could be one solo um but again the depth of the women's peloton i think there are just so many more riders that can can ride at the caliber of what mariana voss was back then that yeah we're seeing more finishes get more riders getting to the finish i don't know if anamika's won this race I don't even know if she's going to start. She might be on altitude camp before the Giro. Ah, well, there you go. And, you know, she can be beaten. If you look at Flanders last year, um, when she went to the line with Bastianelli, she's not going to win it in a sprint. The things that she wins are on steep walls, are in solos, or in time trials. If If she goes to a line with a group, she is not going to win that one. Yeah, so, like, Plouet actually... Would not suit her anyway, you know. No. Um, so I, I think she's going to skip it and and go to s- some mountain again to some do, mountain, it, yeah. do in, insane hours and altitude meters every day. I mean, she's got to get her keep her streak right. If she if there's any question of if she can win or not, which is crazy that there is a question because <laughs> she's just been so good. Then then yeah, she can't race because her winning streak cannot be broken at this point. But, <laughs> But GP Pluet will be a really interesting race because it's usually raced right before Worlds and it's a very different style of racing, I think, personally, to this early season racing, which right now we are in early season racing, right? Because it's we had this huge break and we're just coming back to racing, which means the, the nerves are higher, especially that we don't know if races are going to start getting canceled again with more outbreaks in Europe. So, and the question about Belgium and the Netherlands. So now we don't know like how many one days we're going to be able to have. So there's all these added factors to the race, which means I think Plue is going to be raced very, very, very differently to years past in the year, in the years past, I think Plue has been a really exciting race, but 
I think because of how late it is in the season and how used to racing everybody is Mm -hmm. and how it's right before worlds, it's a more controlled version of racing. Whereas now I just see it as a, as complete chaos. It's free for all. Absolutely. One of of the best, best races in my top five races that I ever saw was Lucinda Brandt winning Pruet. And she was, she was attacking all day and then she got dropped again on those climbs and then she was attacking again and, Oh, was, yeah. she she died like like nine times yeah. and and got back up and that was that was one of the most exciting races ever and and Lucinda is such a worthy winner because she always tries and she's always always aggressive and she never really gets those big chances i guess so that year in Plouet, that was that was amazing that was absolutely my top 5 of best races i've ever seen so i have a special place in my heart for that race and Brittany is is basically the Flanders of France, you know. Uh, they, these people are cycling mad in Brittany. Oh yeah, there was we. I did it last year, and there were so many people. Which I mean, we don't know this year if there will be or what. Because watching uh, watching Milan San Remo yesterday, there was a lot of fans on the side of the road, and that's I don't know coronavirus times, big question mark. But anyway, it like that races <laughs> <laughs> that races just. The the landscape is beautiful. It's it's a technical course. It's not there's very rarely a straight moment in in the course, and it's pretty much up and down the whole time. I mean, it's not like crazy climbs, but they're not easy. So it's gonna be another classicy style, and it's a circuit. Which I mean, I I love a circuit race because it just adds this this more not not predictable in a bad way, but the since the riders are riding the same circuit every time it kind of means that it can be more calculated versus if you're just riding one big loop or riding in a straight like from point a to point b you know it's it's just a different style racing and you're yep. pretty sure that it's not going to be 45 degrees in Brittany. yeah yeah that's true as well. But yeah, the circuit racing, I also love it as well if, if I'm going good, but I love to watch it because, you know, typically world's races are raced on circuits and it's just circuit racing just eats away at you. So that course, like you said, Abby, is is really technical and, you know, it's just constantly up and down. So every lap, it's just slowly, if, you, if you're not taking care in what you're doing, um then you can go out the back pretty easily. Yeah, definitely. So before we kind of move into talking a little bit more about racing right now, I wanted to talk to you, Yose, about your interview that you did with Mavi Garcia, because one of the takeaways from Strada was Mavi, who's been racing on Movistar the, the last couple of years, and now she's on Ale BTC Ljubljana, and she's relatively new to racing and relatively unknown, but her ride at Strada was amazing and you got to talk to her um after the race and and your interview came out last monday and we'll link it in the show notes for anyone who hasn't been able to read it but you you were texting me during the race about how much you wanted to talk to her and i i'm curious how how it went for anyone who didn't read your read your piece um it it was so much fun i i I instantly knew that i had to write about her because the when I when I came on to, to Cycling Tips, the thing I wanted to do most was to highlight riders that we don't really know just yet. You know, there's a lot of, we know a lot about the big, big riders, you know, the big Vs with Van der Breggen, Vos van Vleuten, et cetera. 
But especially those riders that are up and coming on every special story to tell, I want to highlight these riders and also make them known so that, you know, just like in the men's peloton, you can become a fan. And if you don't know them, you can never become a fan. So I instantly knew that I wanted to interview her. And about two weeks before I talked to Iriona Mine, and she's on the same team. So I immediately texted Eri. It's like, Eri, can you get me Mavi's phone number? And she said, yeah, I'll ask. And Eri had just come out of the ambulance and she was still, probably still a bit doozy. But she got me the phone number of, uh, of, of Mavi Garcia. And we started texting. And well, in the end, we, we talked on Monday when she was when she was driving and the most difficult thing with Spanish is, or interviewing in Spanish is not seeing the person. You know, if, if you interview in Dutch or in English or in, in French, a phone call will do. But with Spanish, I, I have to see the person. And I couldn't because she was on the car and her connection was not really good. So what we did was I, I kind of sent her my questions and she did those voice messages on WhatsApp. And, and she sent me those voice messages back. And that's how, that's how the interview went. And, and the great thing was that she kind of thanked me twice for taking an interest in her, which is, which is kind of incredible, but it, it happens more in women's cycling. That I had the same thing with Damie Follarding. She said, well, thank you for writing this piece. I love it. And you would never have Vincenzo Nibali telling you, it's like, oh, thank you for writing an interview with me. You know, that will never happen. So yeah. such a humble and, and nice person. And I had some help with the Spanish because it, there were some things that I was not completely sure about and I wanted to be sure about what I wrote naturally. So I had some help by Yolanda Alvarez, who is uh, Babelia1 on Twitter and a very avid women's cycling fan. She knows a lot of stuff. And um, yeah, together we made this uh, this interview. She checked if I had translated everything correctly, which to my great joy, mostly uh, I did. And um, yeah. So that was uh, that was my second interview ever in Spanish. The first was with uh, Alejandro Valverde. So this was my second. I was I was I was buzzing really that it that it worked out. Valverde didn't thank you for the interview. No, no. But his his press his press officer said that this was that he was quite relaxed with me. That he's never that he's never that relaxed in interviews. But I that I managed to uh, well give him that relaxed feeling in interviews. So that was a big compliment as well. So going into the next couple races, why should we be cheering for Mavi Garcia? Because she is, well, she's a very humble person. Um, but also she has quite a, a cool story. You know, she, she grew up on Mallorca. And we all know Mallorca as being like the cycling paradise of, of Spain. But she, she started figure skating. And, and I had to look it up because she said patinaje artístico. And I said, that, but that's like artistic skating, you know, I, I probably misheard, but she didn't do that on ice because, you know, Mallorca. And they did that on like wooden flooring on roller skates. And that's what oh. she did. And then she, she picked up, she started doing athletics until, well, in her thirties, um, has been on the podium at world championships in duathlon. So that's running and cycling. And then she decided, okay, if I want to go professional, I have to do cycling. And she's still very, she's like 36 and she's still very eager to learn and like looking forward, basically like, like a child to, to, to a holiday or whatever, basically looking for it. Like, yeah, I'm going to race there. And it's, she's, she's not blasé about being in a pro peloton. She's still 
she still loves learning the ropes and, and riding new races and learning every day. And of course we saw in her, in her technique, you know, in her cornering that there was, that, that there was quite a lot left to learn there, that she was not that technically a rider as people who started at a very young age. So yeah, she's, she's quite aware of that as well. And she, she's just like, okay, I'm 36, but I still want to improve myself and I want to learn and I want to enjoy and, and, and discover new races. She's just like, seemed like a very fun and humble person. That's like one of the coolest things. I mean, two of the coolest things about women cycling are what you just touched on, right? Like the women don't get highlighted as often or talked to as often or features like this as often. So they're always really excited when somebody is interested. And also you can get into the sport late, late in life and still be successful because, I mean, obviously it does take genes and it takes a certain, and I mean, determination and hard work and everything. But the fact that she could start in the professional Peloton, you know, in her thirties and be doing this in Strada, which is a really hard race in a normal year is really cool. You know what? The, the, one of the best things was that she said, like, when she was on Movistar in the past, and and they were talking about her programs. Now, not uh, Strada is not a thing for me, you know, with the gravel. And then her team manager at Ale Cipollini or Ale Lubiana said, "No, you should do it." And she was like, actually scared when looking at the profile and looking up the race, and it's like, I think it's kind of dangerous. <laughs> she said, and I don't know if this if this race is really really suited and then she does the second place you know almost beat, that, beat from floating. but that's why she attacked with 45 kilometers to go yeah that's why that's she was solo station. go solo the it's absolute a- safest place in the peloton is either really? off, off the back solo or off the front solo exactly classic <laughs> alison tedrick yeah or evelyn stevens or yeah. Lempo afenapool yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so for anybody who you know, doesn't know who Mavi Garcia is. Now you know a little bit more. And we highly recommend that you go read Yosei's piece because, I mean, part of the reason that I started podcasting in the first place is exactly the reason that you're writing these features is just because these women, nobody knows who they are except for like Annemiek Van Vluten or Anna Van der Bregen, um, the big, big names. And it's people like Mavi Garcia that make the sport just so much cooler. So, yeah, I mean... Her ride was was absolutely amazing. And the fact that, like, on the final climb leading up to the finish, Van Vluten looked like she was really struggling, which we don't really see often from her. And Mavi Garcia had been off the front solo for 45K and was still hanging on. Um, I, at that point, you know, when they started the last kilometer, the climb up to the, uh, the, the, the Piazzo, I was still not sure if, if either Garcia or Van Vluten was going to win it. I wasn't, because Van Vluten looked absolutely cooked. Mm. Yeah, she didn't. Yeah. She didn't look like the normal, you know, completely composed, just winning style. Yeah. There um, might might have been some suffering going on there. Ooh, <laughs> ooh. yikes! <laughs> the robot, the robot begins to show a little bit of cracks. <laughs> well, going into the next couple of races, we have a while to wait. Usually, with, along with Milan San Remo, that just happened. This weekend we have uh, Binda, but no. no Binda this year. I'm, I'm gonna miss a it. Beautiful race. Yeah, Trofeo Alfredo Binda, one of my favorite races to watch. One of my favorite races that's ever happened in all time was when Kashin Iwadoma won solo. 
Oh, yeah. In the pouring rain. Oh, man. That was a horrible day. <laughs> I, think I, I think I started watching 70K to go. And I was like, oh, 70K to go. And then I was like, whoa, this is really exciting. And I watched the entire 70K, like, on the edge of my seat. I was, I was, one, I was once riding shotgun in the Rabobank team car. And um, if, you go, if you go down the Areno climb, uh, which is a very fast and, and technical descent, and we were just first car in the race. They, they had number one. And I saw Yolanda Neff and Pauline Ferrand-Prévot descend the arena climb, just like sitting on the edge of my seat. And it was such a marvelous thing to see that, that, you, that, that you can actually descend like that. It's wow. Yeah. Well, Kasha is like, she is just known for being an absolutely insane descender. She won Ardèche in 2018 by just out descending everybody. I think Mavia was, Mavi Garcia was second that year. Oh, it's possible. In Ardèche, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. So no racing coming up. We have an entire another episode to come out before the next race, which is really interesting because when the schedule was originally released, it was like a little bit hectic. There was this this race in Italy, and then they were supposed to go Valgarda and Tour of Norway, and then yeah. to France. And now we have Valgarda and Tour of Norway are canceled, and no Binda. So that means that there's three weeks in between races. Um, now, so they had this insanely hard strata, which with how hard it was and the riders, some of the riders who were favorites going into it, having cracked so epically, you think that would have an effect mentally. And now they have all this time to sit and either stew in the fact that they are coming back to racing and they don't feel as good as they wanted to, or to like take that and and use it as fuel which which will be really interesting going into the next race so the next two races are gp plue and la course and emilia yeah and and Girida emilia is august 18th which isn't world tour but i think with the it's pretty hard <laughs> it is a hard race yeah and interestingly gp plue and la course gp plue is on the 25th and la course is on the 29th um, of august and it's a 12 hour drive yeah, it's it's as far it's as far apart as you can basically be in France. Yeah, exactly. Bet- like between the- uh, Plouet and Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so all of the mechanics and all the team staff have to drive, but also some of the riders will drive because some of the riders, some of the teams aren't aren't flying. So, like, I think Sunweb is gonna drive, <laughs> which that'll be interesting. If you come from a national team background or a small team, I think it's something they're used to. But like the top world tour teams certainly aren't used to 12-hour drives. Not anymore. Nope. <laughs> They've become spoiled. Yeah. Well, I, ju- I just saw the Dutch national team. They've been doing some track racing in Italy. And they're driving back on a van from Italy. Yeah. So I mean, that's the safest way to travel. Yeah, Absolutely. So not much racing going on right now, but we do have many teams that like Trek Segafredo, for example, is at altitude in Isola 2000 and some other teams are staying together for this time in between racing. And then there's this big question mark of, do I fly home? I mean, it's multiple weeks and there's all this, this year is just so nuts because there's so many added factors that are just like big question marks. And I think some riders deal with it better than others, but it just makes makes all these things more hard. I have a, a question for you, Abby. Has Tipco been able to to go overseas? 
I, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't really know about that, but I do know that rally is coming. The rally women's team is on their way over right now. And they're hoping they're supposed to race GP Plouet and La Course. Um, and they were also supposed to race Strata, but because of no Americans being able to fly into Europe, they had only the Canadians and, um, Chloe Hosking, which means they only had four riders and one of them was sick and one of them is injured. Mm-hmm. So they had, there was no way for them to get over and race, but now they've been able to get the Americans, the right paperwork. And, um, like I, Heidi Franz, I was talking to and she, they're flying over pretty soon. So Chipko has the exact same problem, of course, with their, yeah, exactly. And they, when we went to like the digital racing season, they actually really made a goal of that. And even the riders who were not in America, they were just asked to lose weight to do the digital racing season. And I, I, I don't think that we're going to see them a lot. I'm afraid we won't see them a lot because they're just stuck in the States, most of them. Mm. Oh, that's so unfortunate because I would really like to see the Tibco won um, the women's tour to tour to tour de course la course tour de france on on swift and i would like to see them race no offense a real race and how how that translates over would be really interesting and lauren stevens we haven't seen her this strong in so long as she is right now or as she seems on swift and i am really curious how she's riding because like we were just talking about leah thomas um, and her bid for the Olympics, Lauren Stevens is also on the long list. Mm-hmm. So for the, for the bid for the Olympic spot, I mean, I hope, I really hope that Zwift racing wins don't play into that. <laughs> 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 so, yeah. So yeah, that's it. That's it for racing coming up and we'll, we'll preview the French races, um, closer to the race and, and everything. And we can speculate more about what's going to happen with I'm Giro. Still- I'm I'm still contemplating just throwing my bike and suitcase in the car and like driving a thousand kilometers to Brittany for Pluet and the European Championships. Oh, I that'd just, be so cool! You yeah, should do it. yeah, but yeah, if if there's, I have to talk to Kaylee about this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but that'd be so cool because Pluet, I think, is a very very underrated race. But also the like, the the Euro- European Championships. It's mm-hmm. it's actually going to be the first race of the year for junior women. Think about that. The first year's not, not a lot of racing. Yeah. And not a lot of racing for the junior women and not a lot of amateur racing and I mean the juniors in particular have they raced yet this this year, Jose? Nope. Yeah. Not officially. Really? There's there's supposed to be a, a UCI Nations Cup in the Basque Country. Um I think it's the end of the month. So I don't really know if it's before or after Euros. I have, well, I, but it's. I think it's the end of August, and then there's one Nations Cup race scheduled in the Netherlands. But the Netherlands, they have this. We have this really weird rule that the organization of a race is responsible for all the social distancing along the entire course. Yeah, that's that's why Bulls Ladies Tour got cancelled because they could close off the finish area. They could close off the start area. But you can't mm-hmm. close off everything in between and um, and and be be responsible for the social distancing of all the people who accidentally find themselves alongside the route. Yeah. So uh, that slide challenge is also raced on a circuit, 
So that might be uh, that might be a possibility. But I still also wonder how they're going to do that with the Amsterdam Gold Race, for example, because mm. the oh, same man. the same rules apply. What if they just changed all the races to circuit racing? Yeah, that's what they do with the Dutch national championships. We have a circuit, uh, seven kilometers, and there's 250 people allowed. Seven and kilometers? Seven, yeah. But oh, it's, it, it, includes, it includes the Vanberg. Okay. Hmm. About a lot of times. So, uh, oh my God. But there's only 250 people allowed and only people who actually live there. So no yeah. parents, no spouses, no boyfriends, no nobody. Um, and because they have to close it off entirely. Well, I mean, of all regions, that area around there is easier to close off. There's not much around the Vanberg. There's actually but... three houses on the course. Exactly. <laughs> so you can do that. But if you thought, if you think um, back to like the world's course around um, the Kalberg, which is yeah. beautiful, you could you just couldn't do it, could you? No. No, you it's get, not possible. You get in big, big trouble with also the tourism agencies. Just the same yeah. thing that Melanson and Raymond had with the men with all these local authorities saying, yeah, we're not closing roads off. We're in the middle of the season, you know? <laughs> Duh. And um, are you racing criteriums in Holland at the moment or not? Um, for women? No, not yet. Okay. Not yet. There have been some, some training races on, you know, these circuits that clubs have. Yeah. Uh, but crit races, no. Um, we do have... Uh, the national championships now scheduled and also the time trial championships also for uh, juniors and under 23s which is unofficial because it's not a category but mm -hmm. that's uh, that's still up in the air when this this these corona rules still apply that as an organizer you don't get a permit if you don't um, make sure that people socially distance which you just can't you know you can't mm -hmm. you, you can't as an organizer, if there's people on the Bemelenberg or on the Valseberg, you know, how are you going to, it's, you, you can't, you're not a police force. So as long as these rules stay, and I'm afraid they will because cases are going up here as well, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be hard. Maybe they'll make an exception for um, Amsterdam Gold Race, but many smaller races and amateur races, they will, they will not happen. Yeah, it goes back to like the fact that the juniors haven't been able to race and they were coming up on Worlds. Worlds is not far away if it does happen. And we haven't seen Megan Jostrab, who's the junior world champion. She's she's not raced at all this year nope. yet. And will probably not be able to make it over to Spain with the rules about, I mean, since rally is coming over now, you can hope that they have something in place that maybe they'll help her get over here in USA cycling. I don't know, but she's the defending champion. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. If she can't, if she can't race at all before the worlds, that would be really weird. It's a, it's a challenge, but I think like, like Jose was saying was that, yeah, there's going to be almost everyone in the same boat. I mean, there was some racing in Belgium happening, but yeah, even the Australians, the only racing there's been is Swift. Yeah. So it's an it's an even playing field in that respect. But from my point of view, I, I can't imagine lining up to a world championships with maybe one race under a belt. <laughs> you know, the, the hardest thing is that Australia is not going to send junior women. They're no. not going to um, – New Zealand is not. America will have trouble. Uh, South America will have trouble. You know, if you race a world championships, it goes for the juniors but also all the other categories – 
like what kind of world champion will it be? It's 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 Eurocentric, and, yeah. and maybe those few Colombian and and American and Canadian pros that all, already live here. But if you are if you're from from Africa or from New Zealand or from like Colombia, how do you get here? for worlds it's a toss-up about whether or not they will have worlds and they'll announce it after this podcast is aired so we won't this is like us just thinking about it but if if the world can't come if like the top racers in the in the rest of the world other than europe aren't able to be on the start line then why even try because it's not but look at look at who topped the medal ranking last year in yorkshire that was the united states you know, with yeah. Quinn Simmons, Chloe Dygert, Megan Jestrep. Chloe Dygert and Megan Jestrep possibly can't even defend their title. Mm-hmm. If, if that, that's, I, I don't think it's going to happen. Your cases are on the up in Switzerland as well. And you, you have to allow people from all over the world into the country. Also people from the so-called red zones that have to mm-hmm. quarantine for two weeks. Who's going to pay for a 14-day quarantine if you're from a country where your cycling union doesn't have a lot of money? indeed yeah yeah very so, very true so it's 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 gonna be dire i'm, I'm afraid i'm afraid you're right <laughs> and, and again um, it comes back to the whole lining up to a world championship not fully prepared no yeah. um and it's not a world championships if half the world can't come no no and this, yeah. it's going to be crashes and it's going to be bad and of course, the, the world champion will probably be like the one that we expect. But the charm of the world championships is that we also see, like you remember that that rider from Rwanda a few years back. She was in Richmond and she, she could ride a world championships. Like, mm. and, and to her, that was an experience. You know, Paula Putinho, who's in a Colombian rider who's now on Movistar, she will probably be able to be in Europe. But she once started as a Colombian rider. Or, mm. an inter- or, or a rider from Chile that I did an interview with um, for cycling tips, Catalina Sotocampos. Like, those experiences are so important for these riders. And if they can't come, it's, it's not all about, at a world championship, it's not all about the riders who finish up in the top 10, I think. It's also giving very valuable experience to riders that you won't see, or also giving them the opportunity to be seen. By, mm-hmm, team, yeah. by teams. And that's also something that's happening now with a whole generation of junior women. Of course, Megan Jessup will find a team and the European champion, Ilse Pluimer, Shirin van Androoy, they, they will find a team. You know, Shirin is with Trek and Ilse Pluimer is most likely going to, uh, to Jumbo Visma. They will find a team, but all the other girls who have been wanting to show themselves in their second year as a junior, how are they going to find teams? How are they going to make that jump across to the elite if nobody ever saw them. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the huge problems with women's cycling is the lack of U23 racing because we've Lauren and I, we've talked about this before, but there is for the men, you know, there's juniors, U20, there's U23 specific races where they can show off. And then there's the elites and then there's the world tour, right? Like there's this whole Mm -hmm. building block for the men, but for the women, it's like junior UCI. Yeah, that's... and there's other teams in there. There's other like amateur teams and develop like quote unquote development teams and stuff like that. But but there's no specific races for them. There's no U23 women's races where you know the directors and the team managers of the women's big races can go to this race and try to find the next talent. Yeah, I spoke to this about uh, for my article about why the Dutch, how the Dutch get so good. 
Um, Servas Knave is, um, of course, former Rube winner and, and sports director at Ineos, but he also has uh, women's teams with his wife. They have a junior team, a cyclocross team, a UCI team. And, and he said, you know, what we lack is U23. Because mm-hmm. um, I have an interview with uh, Leontine van Morsel, will be up uh, next week on Cycling Tips. And she says, okay, uh, women get into their prime racing from 25 because it's, it's the way a women's body is made up. Of course, there's exceptions like, of course, Chloe Deigert or Amelie Diederichsen or, you know, but this, this category is completely lost. There's, there's nothing for them. They just, they, they were top of the world when they were juniors. They were world champions when they were juniors. And then they line up for their first race of the year, Omloop at Nieuwsblad, and they are side by side with Annemiek van Vleuten and Anna van der Breggen. Mm-hmm. And, and they get dropped on the first climb. That's a, yeah. it's a tough mental battle. Well, we've seen, at least in Australia, I can rattle off so many names of talented young mm-hmm. riders who would have become, in my opinion, world-class, world-tour mm-hmm. riders that would win races. I can think of one rider, uh, Emily Herfoss, formerly M- Emily Roper, super talented rider from Australia, but she got put into the national program straight out of under-19s, went to Europe, had her ass handed to her, said, this is not fun. No. Um, I used to win everything. Yeah. Um, got fourth at the Worlds at a junior level and then just decided, you know what, I'm going to stay in Australia. She settled down, got married. She kicks ass in Australia but has absolutely no desire to go overseas. And we've lost so many young riders like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and also, if you look at uh, how many young riders actually win races, there's, there's not a lot. Of course, Lorena Vibes is an exception. She's, what, 21, 22? I don't know. But the, those exceptions are, are very rare. And the mental battle, because I'm involved with the U23 team, and we have world champions on the team and, and girls that were top 10 at, at, at European championships, world championships. And they struggle, and the mental battle is 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 huge. And if you go if you go from junior level straight to a big team where they just kind of demand results, mm. ah, it's it's rough. And I think that it's worth noting as well. Um, this is something I've only learnt. And actually, uh, Megan Megan Garnier's husband um, said something to me many years ago. So. I'm okay when I if I look at photos of me when I was 21 22 I was a bit chubbier we'll use that word mm-hmm. but he he said that you know for for women at least in his experience from what he'd seen in the peloton is that you naturally don't lean out until you get over that 25 mark mm-hmm. so women tend to carry what we call puppy fat which is completely normal mm-hmm. it's like with your hormones and everything, you know, it's, it's a normal thing. But then you have these 18, 19, 20-year-olds in the pro peloton looking at the physique of Lizzie Dignan yes. and Mika and Gluten. They're completely ripped. And I'm telling you, they're very healthy women. Like Lizzie is a very healthy eater. I know that from speaking with her best friend, Tiffany Cromwell. Um, no history of eating disorders or anything. But these young girls look at their bodies who mm-hmm. – you know, they've got still a lot of developing happening inside and they they think they need to look like a 30-year-old woman. And then I think this is where actually sometimes these eating dis- disorders develop. Um, and that's just one thing that I've noticed. 
Well, it, it, that's also in my interview with uh, Leontine Zeilat von Morsel, who, of course, raced through a period of anorexia. And she said to me, it's like, um, it's, it's a wave. You know, we've seen years that it was pretty much okay, but we're now on the downslope again, that I see a lot of women balancing on that very thin line of mm -hmm. an eating disorder. And, of course, we all know the examples of women who've gone over that one. Um, yeah. Uh, there's no need to name names, but she said, what I see now, um, it's it's a very thin line that some people are balancing on and it worries her. And she says, my happiest years were, I've lost eight years of my life due to uh, anorexia and eight years that I will never, ever go back, get back. And there's not a championship or a jersey in the world that was worth it. And that was that was quite a statement, I thought, that she she gave me there. There was not a jersey or a medal in the world that was worth it. Those are really, chills, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's really powerful because I've often thought about that myself. I never achieved anywhere near what she did, but even some of the things I did to myself, that was a conclusion I came to was it just wasn't worth it. And how long would I carry the effects on from what I'd done to myself? So um, I think it's a very powerful point to get across to to young riders. And, again, it also comes down to the teams that these young riders are signing for. So I know, for example, treks are very nurturing environments. And when you have someone like Ina um, at the Ina head Yoko of the team, yeah. yes, like she's going to steer you in the right direction. And she did wonderful things. I, I saw just even when I was briefly teammates with her on Specialized Lululemon, when Evie Stevens was coming through, she was very much a voice of reason for her and she was older. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I'm really but, looking forward to this uh, interview that you're doing. Yeah, it's probably going to be online somewhere this week because there's not a lot of women's racing going on. There's, uh, there's room on the site now for that. It's, it's, a, it's a good piece, if I say so myself. She says some very interesting stuff. Cool. Well, I mean, we covered a lot of things today and there's other, the other big piece of news I think is that Mariana Voss is reportedly riding for Jumbo Visma, which we'd speculated about in the past and is now another one of the men's teams that is picking up a women's team. Um, so that'll be a little bit interesting and there's not, they haven't announced it formally yet that she's riding for the team and we don't know what other riders are going to be involved with that. Although I'd imagine some of the CCC riders will be involved with the question mark around that team and whether they'll exist next year. Voss actually owns the team. So that kind of answers your question. Dang. Uh -huh. That there is such go. a boss move. Um, <laughs> CCC live is, um, a separate entity from the CC men's teams. They are mm -hmm. three teams. They're a development team, a men's world two team, and a women's world two team. The development team is basically the Polish national team. Um, the CCC team is Jim Okowicz, you know, former BMC. Mm -hmm. And the women's team is, um, it's, it's Voss's own team. That kind of uh, makes me wonder if there'll be a CCC team next year. Yeah. Yeah. I think you just answered that question for Abby. But she, she might, she might have just like said, okay, I'm going to leave my team in some other hands and I'm going to Yamba Visma. It could That's be. That's possible I, as well. I yeah. don't know the structure. Of course, I can imagine having your own team is incredibly stressful. Mm. Uh, and, and being the most winning rider of, of last year on top of that is an extra stress factor. Um, but yeah, she, um, She's not just a rider on CCC Lift. She's also involved in a management structure. That's really interesting, I think, actually, because 
That would never happen in men's racing. I thought it was public knowledge, but apparently it's, it's not. <laughs> I knew she was heavily involved, but, but not at that level. Um, I mean, Rochelle Gilmore, obviously, when she ran uh, Wiggle Honda, she raced for the first year mm-hmm. and then said it was too much that she would just transition into management. But she was towards the end of her career anyway. But I, I can imagine that running a team and racing for that team would be incredibly difficult. Yeah. You also have a little bit of conflict of interest if if you're yeah, if you're racing for the team and also running it. There's then there's like this I mean for Voss, I don't imagine it would be a problem, but there's this weird barrier set up between you and the other riders at that point, I would feel. Yeah, I, I do think some of the riders of CCC will um because you know the, the management of Jumbo Visma says I, I don't they don't want to take over a team. That's 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 against their. They don't want to do that. They want to start a team from zero, so mm. they're not just going to take over either Park Hotel Valkenburg or the CCC Leaf team. They want to start from scratch. Yep. So that kind of leaves CCC and Park Hotel Valkenburg hanging in the balance because we have a new team. But what happens with the two other teams? You know, we might end up with new Dutch UCI team and lose two others. Yeah, indeed. Um, Very true. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen, to be honest. But we'll have to wait and see. There's only been rumors um, by one Dutch cycling journalist, Thijs Sonnefeld, who is best friends with Rianne Marcus uh, and her boyfriend. So he's quite close to the source. But um, it hasn't been confirmed whatsoever by Jumbo Visma. So we do know that the, the greatest thing about it is that the question about the women's team actually came from the sponsors. They have, they both have female CEOs, both Jumbo and Visma. Oh, and wow. They, and they asked for a women's team, just like Cervelo did. So, wow. um, yeah. So it's not, a, it's not a political correct move that we have to have a women's team because, you know, society wants that. No, the sponsors want it, which is a That's whole awesome. different plan, whole different thing. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we will see more that happen more because I imagine that EF will also be starting up a women's team. There's a lot of problems there with EF, the company, and how and they have rules about women having to be paid the same as their male counterparts. So there's they have some problems there monetarily with how they're going to manage having two teams at once, like. Mm-hmm. Just forget the fact that it's a women's team, but running two teams at the same time that require the same budget or well, a very similar budget. I mean, and, and their business is at uh, their business is completely down the hill due to Corona. So that's, yeah, and uh, the men's team <laughs> have publicly said that they're looking for another for a second sponsor because of the the effects of COVID on EF the company. So. Yeah, but so if they had planned to start a women's team for next year, which I had heard that they would, that's out the window now. And they'd have to wait until 2022 at the earliest um, if the men's team even sticks around, which for them, obviously, the priority is keeping the men's team afloat now. Um, But yeah, it'll be interesting about Ineos in the future. They they save about $5 million now through is out of the team, so... If we just get like one million, maybe even half of a half a million, they could just take Froome's salary and, and start, start a women's team. No, we but even, no, but even, even like ten or twenty percent of his salary, so half a million or a million, would get you a very decent women's team in the World Tour. So, 
what what they're waiting for yeah half of room salary and have like one of the best paid women's teams in the peloton big problem is uh that a lot of the big women superstars are not available in 2021 they're still on a contract and Ineos is of course probably not going to start a, a women's team with a team with no big stars on them yeah i, I don't yeah. think that's their style no but they should have the money easily yeah their theirs is not a question of of budget <laughs> no 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 never no. has been no no well so we covered a lot i think that's that's pretty much good for this week what do you guys think anything to add no no cool at this point not <laughs> maybe in an hour <laughs> yeah yeah at some point in the future I think when we get farther into the um, the question of, you know, who's riding for what team and when, as Kaylee puts it, silly season gets even sillier, we're going to build our own, we're going to build our own teams. We're going to build our fantasy teams. Lauren, we've done it in the past. We're going to yes. do it again. Awesome. Oh, yeah. I this is fun. Preparations for that. Yeah. It's, always, it's always hard not to play favorites. Oh, you always <laughs> yeah. play favorites. I don't think about who's going to be the best on the team. I'm like, who am I going to have the most fun with? Oh, you'll you'll probably end up with Leah Thomas then. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you both so much for coming on the podcast and chatting about women's cycling and all things women's cycling related. As, as is um, pretty standard when we talk about women's cycling, we talk about, you know, the lack of budget, the lack of racing, and um, eating disorders. Those are like the three main topics. <laughs> oh, maybe maybe we have to come up with some, some different subjects then next time. Yeah. Let's talk about all the, the professions that women, female cyclists actually have behind them. Yeah, true. That would be Great. really interesting conversation. We got nurses, we got engineers, Doctors, Wall Street. Annemiek uh, van Vleuten is actually, I think she's in epidemiology. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. Things you didn't know. Man, she is just on another level. She's got more, she's like Beyonce, more hours in the day than everyone else. <laughs> did you just compare Annalie Conflant to Beyonce? I did. Yeah. Oh. She's the Beyonce of cycling. I'm surprised you didn't compare it to Taylor Swift. Yeah. I'm, no, I'm I like Taylor Swift. I'm uh, not no. saying I don't like Annalie Van Vluten. That's not what I'm saying. But I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is not... getting out of hand. But we better just just leave just it stop. here. <laughs> All right. On that note, <laughs> peace out. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in two weeks. Thank you both for coming on for taking the time to come on the podcast and and yeah, that's it. That's all we got. <laughs>